Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani. The boom in connected medical devices shows no signs of slowing down as more providers and consumers embrace digital tools that provide biometric data for personal or clinical use. Today on Raise the Line, we're going to get a unique perspective on how this space has developed and where it is headed with Dr. David Albert, one of its pioneers, who I had the pleasure of meeting nearly a decade ago in DC at one of the first Mobile Health or M-Health summits, and we've been friends since. Many of the people we've had on the podcast, including Dr. Iman Abu Zaid, who is of incredible health, kind of started their digital health careers at AliveCore, which is the company Dr. Dave started. Dr. Dave is a physician, inventor, and serial entrepreneur who has developed life-saving technologies and products over the last 30 years, some of which have led to successful startup companies. He's perhaps best known for bringing a live core and smartphone heart monitoring devices to the market a decade ago, which have become an essential tool for clinicians and patients all over the world and very prescient given the remote patient monitoring we need for COVID. The company has continued to expand its products and global reach in recent years, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about what they've been up to in the last few years today. So, Dr. Dave, good to see you again. Shiv, it is a pleasure, my friend. <laughs> well, so I know a lot about you and your background, having spoken to you for nearly a decade. But for our audience, many of whom are medical students, like your son was a couple of years ago, what got you interested in medicine? And then what made you become an inventor and startup entrepreneur? It's not a linear story, unfortunately. So I always wanted to be a doctor, Shiv. I thought that in my youth, I, I didn't come from a medical family, don't have anyone else in medicine in my family. But, you know, I was fascinated with Dr. Kildare and Ben Casey, the neurosurgeon on television, and my pediatrician, a guy named Fred Burke in Washington, D.C. And those things inspired me to always want to be a doctor. So throughout grade school, middle school, high school, I was a science-focused person. So I went off to our shared alma mater, Harvard College, and was a pre-med. Then I went to Duke Medical School. And I was always thinking I was going to go back. My dad had had heart problems and thought I would be an academic cardiologist. I was always interested in research. And so at Duke, I was able the third year to get into research. And my dad had a heart attack in, back in Oklahoma where we lived. And I went back there. And after his heart attack, they told him, this, so this is about 1981. They said, you need to exercise, walk until your heart rate gets to 120. And I said, this 73-year-old man, he's no way he's going to be able to measure his heart rate. There were no Apple watches. There were no polar chest straps. There was nothing in 1981. So I spent $200 with a biomedical engineering grad student at Duke to try to get him to build me a heart monitor my dad could use. And he failed. My $200 went down the drain. And that so upset me that I went to my dad and I went to the dean of the School of Engineering, the dean of the School of Medicine. I said, I want to become an engineer so that people can't bamboozle me anymore. And so I took a leave of absence with only eight months left of medical school and spent two and a half years in engineering school at Duke, undergrad courses and then graduate courses, and then went back and finished medical school and went back to Oklahoma. But in the meantime, I'd already made two inventions, an ultrasound machine and a wrist-based heart monitor, which I ultimately licensed. And I went back to do my training at University of Oklahoma, and I came up with another invention. And by the way, I'd gotten married, and I had a baby, one of your shared classmates, Catherine Albert, my oldest child. And what happened was nobody wanted to license that invention. So I went to the chief of cardiology, a guy named Dr. Ralph Lazera. He's passed away now. And I said, I want to 
go start a company. And so that started my odyssey back in the late 1980s of being an entrepreneur, never planned, never planned to be an inventor, never planned to be an entrepreneur. And ultimately I started a company and sold it. Then I started a company called Data Critical and we went public in 1999. And then we sold to GE Healthcare in 2001. And then a little over a decade ago, I started a live core. And today I have 75 patents and you know, our products are literally used by millions of people. And so it's not been a linear journey, nor was it a planned journey. But like every good entrepreneur, it's a journey of opportunity and seizing the day, carpe diem. <laughs> well, I remember seeing one of the first Alive Core cases that you brought to the ML Summit a decade ago and being so impressed that Arthur C. Clarke quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Kind of the same feeling a lot of people got when they first even used an iPhone in 2007, 2008, when you know they saw the touch screen. And so you've come a long way in that past decade. We got to know each other really well when I coordinated the smartphone physical for Ted Med and the Alive Core ECG iPhone case was probably the highlight of that experience. Can you tell us a bit about the last few years? Because you know, right now, remote patient monitoring is all the rage. Digital health is all the rage with several IPOs and big funding announcements the last two, three years. What have the last couple of years been like with COVID for Alive Core and for you? Well, you know, it's an amazing thing. Without naming names, you know, in 2018, we, we'd been going along, building our presence. Today, we have 175 peer-reviewed papers. Every major medical center uses Alive Core Cardio products. But in 2018, you know, maybe the world's biggest company decided to add ECG, personal ECG functionality to their products and to one of their products. And of course, a lot of people said, oh, well, that'll kill Alive Core. Uh, I can tell you we've only grown 650% since then. Oh, because wow. This notion of personal ECG was validated. And our chairman of the board and lead investors, a guy named Vinod Kosla, very well known, and he said, it's the best thing ever happened to you. And he said, you were out there in the wilderness by yourself, little voice. And then this huge voice came out and says, this is important. People should have this. And so all of a sudden, you're the experts. They're not. You're the guys who have all the publications, all the IP, all the science. And so today we have a six-lead ECG device, our CardioMobile 6L, that can give you half of the 12-lead ECG. Two days ago, we introduced our CardioMobile card, which is literally a credit card-sized device. Fits in your wallet, size of a credit card. And we have lots of other opportunities. From inside our app, you can have a board-certified cardiologist review your ECG and send it back. We have relationships with basically everybody. Full disclosure, Mayo Clinic is an investor, big research partner. And we support research and validation efforts all over the world. We're in 47 countries. We have over 50 patents for a live core and lots of new products, both in the last few years, like the CardioMobile 6L and the CardioMobile card, as well as new service offerings. And so we have a partnership with Omron. They're also an investor. And they both integrated our ECG technology into something called Omron Complete. So it's a blood pressure machine with ECG. We sell their blood pressure device as part of a remote monitoring service. What happened to Civ when COVID hit is it was a catalyst for remote patient monitoring. And so our business took a step up. So while many people were hurting, it just blew our business up. And that has been sustained, even though COVID, hopefully, we're going to be seeing the tail. It'll be a, a, a significant tail, but it, the tail nonetheless. It was a huge stimulus to our business, COVID was, 
and it's changed medicine. You know, the issues are, will that change be permanent? Will the laws be changed on reimbursement of telecare? Will the incentives be equalized? I don't have a crystal ball on that, but I believe that patients and payers can find alignment and that remote patient monitoring and telehealth are here to stay. 100%. And that's definitely a theme that's come up multiple times on our podcast and raised the line, both the telehealth, spike in telehealth utilization or remote patient monitoring, where now it's a table stakes or people are very familiar with the technology. When I remember in the wilderness of digital health back in 2012 to 2017 or so, there was a lot of, you know, we, we I think we were very much in the zone of disillusionment or a trough in the Gartner hype cycle. And then obviously with, with COVID, it's become essential. We've had people on the podcast talk about not just that trend, but the consumerization of healthcare. You know, Ann Wojcicki at 23andMe was on and, and a mutual contact of ours, Dr. Eric Topol was on and he wrote that book, as you know, The Patient Will See You Now. So we talked about the consumerization of healthcare. You're a physician who's developed these products that have truly consumerized or, or brought a very affordable ECG monitoring to the masses. One of the biggest things physicians who are less maybe laggards or, or late adopters have complained about this type of technology is how are they going to keep track of the data? Is it leading to cyberchondria or hyperchondria for cyber folks? Where do we stand with that and those consumerization pieces? How do you respond to that? Because I remember a decade ago, it was a very much a lot of physicians did not want this type of technology to come out. You're absolutely right. No doubt about it. We had a lot of resistance in the beginning. And you're right. You know, the the 2012 to 2017 was the trough of disillusionment in the Gartner hype cycle. However, we've gotten much smarter. The growth of AI, we're big proponents of AI. The growth of cloud computing, the notion of ubiquitous data wherever you are. And we've gotten better at managing that data and managing for physicians. So we have a portal called CardioPro that allows physicians and the people that work for them to efficiently review and process data. We have interfaces into Epic. And as of a day or two ago, I don't even know if it's public, interface into Cerner at the Oklahoma Heart Hospital in Oklahoma City. And so, you know, those are the two big EMR platforms. I would tell you that there is no doubt that the consumer is going to be a partner in their own care. They have to be, Shiv. If we want people to be compliant and we're going to ask them to pay more money, I mean, copays and deductibles are going only in one direction, up. And that's why people, you know, companies like Lavongo went to self-insured employers and said, we can help you reduce your costs because all they've seen for the last 20 years is a step function increase every year in their healthcare costs. So we've got to engage consumers. And while not every consumer is a patient, every patient's a consumer. And so we've got to engage them in their care. We have to make them partners. We have to get doctors to accept that and to accept that it's not a, the old paternalistic system. Certainly when I trained, it was still, you know, do what I say or else you're not smart. Well, that, that doesn't work anymore. Topol, the patient will see you now, doctor. I think those are all very real trends that are accelerating. And we in medicine have to adapt to those trends. And it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's like anything. You know, the, there was a small business book written in the late 1990s of who moved my cheese. And it was all about the 
could people adapt to change? And there are those people who could adapt readily and those people for whom change was difficult. And I think we're finding that out now, but it's not going to stop. The change will continue. You have fee-for-service volume-based finances going to quality-based finances, shared risk, things that the healthcare system's not used to. But those are inevitable changes. And I think we in the ether between traditional healthcare technology and traditional consumer electronic technology will help bridge that gap and hopefully make it better for both the patients and the providers. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think I think a big missing piece that a lot of other remote patient monitoring or, or digital health companies are not nearly as far along as, as what you and AliveCore have done is the AI component. I know you have several FDA approved algorithms for taking this massive data set you could be getting, which to a physician receiving a random strip at 2 a.m. could be could be very difficult, could be very life-saving, but also could be kind of a liability to do that. That was definitely a concern that came up during the trough of disillusionment phase. But now that you have, you know, can you give us a sense of like the size and scope of your database of strips and some of the coolest AI applications that you're most proud of? Yeah, we have well over 130 million ECGs in our cloud database. And we have anonymous access to that from our terms and conditions. I don't know who you are, but I have all your ECGs and it's serial. We have some people that have been taking their ECGs daily or weekly, literally for years. And, and I have watched their ECGs and their cardiac pathology evolve. And that has enabled us to do some very powerful things. Our CardioMobile 6L just in 2021 was cleared to monitor QT. Well, that's a really big deal because before the only thing that could monitor QT was a 12 lead ECG. And, you know, the FDA gave us first emergency use authorization because as you know, early in the pandemic, people were taking Plaquenil and z both of which happen to be QT prolonging medications. And so they enabled us to use our CardioMobile 6L and the six limb leads to measure QT. Now we have a full FDA clearance for that. And we have an instant QT service that's AI based that by the way, is being used to keep lots of patients safe because there are lots of drugs, chemotherapy, cancer drugs, anti-malarial, anti-TB, obviously cardiac drugs like defetilide and sodalol and antibiotics, all of which are QT prolongers. And so we have great and growing opportunities to use AI to keep patients safe. And I think that's one of my mantras. You know, I, I always think patients first, Shiv, and I think we as physicians, hopefully we always think patients first. Absolutely. And and again, like we call this the Raise Line podcast because it's how do we you know, train more healthcare professionals? How do we make sure our health systems aren't failing? You know, we had Vivian Lee on the podcast who you know, I'm sure from Google, Verily, and she before she she ran University of Utah and wrote the long fix about value-based medicine, which you touched upon, and how RPM can help us get towards that state. But the other half of this is not just raising the line, it's the more popular term or well-known term of flattening the curve, because it's very unlikely the way training is set up nowadays that we will even ha- be able to reverse this shortage we're seeing of nurses and doctors and other healthcare professionals. Oh, we burned a bunch of them out. In the last two years, have been extremely difficult for nurses, for physicians. I can't imagine what it's like for an ICU doctor. I just can't even imagine in the last two years 
You know, there's been a lot of frustration. At first it was panic. And now it's a lot of frustration when you see that what were terrible deaths in the beginning and now are potentially preventable deaths. And that's very hard on people psychologically and physically. You know, they, they haven't had a, a let up. And so hopefully we are getting to the tail of this. Hopefully we can get our population protected with vaccination. And hopefully we can at least get back to some kind of new normal. But in, the, in that process, you're right. The population of physicians and nurses and the people to support them has been impacted and will not keep up with the increasing demand as old geezers like me, Shiv. I'm Medicare now, okay? I'm 67. I have an Aetna card, but I also have a Medicare card. We are the big users of healthcare. And that trend's not going to stop. And we haven't peaked yet in terms of the baby boomer. So it's going to be a challenge. And our systems, and if you think ours are bad, just imagine the developing world where they're not going to build the same kind of ivory towers we built in the United States. I mean, you've seen the ones at, at Harvard and at Hopkins and Duke and Columbia, all the Mayo, Cleveland Clinic. They're not going to build those. So they're going to be mobile first in their access to healthcare. And as Vinod Kosla says, much of the world, that will probably be their access point is a $30 Android phone. And so we've got to enable that not only for them, but for our people. And that's, again, value-based care, RPM. These are all parts of a bigger solution. That's a really interesting part of, I think, what you've done at LiveCore over the past decade is there's another quote I really like, which is the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And one of the big complaints about digital health, it's not a complaint, it's just a reality, is that some of these technologies that are coming out are so expensive that it's, it just won't be globally accessible. But with LiveCore, it seems like you have the cutting edge, not necessarily expensive stuff, but you have the cutting edge applications that are used at places like Mayo and Hopkins and, and places like that. But then also the more accessible and AI-driven credit card size, $99 a LiveCore ECG monitor. So it seems like you guys have been able to reach up and down the spectrum. Well, we we are $79. Oh, oh. so Cardio Mobile today is $79. That's the regular. It was 69 in December for the holidays, but it's 79 from now on. We introduced this Cardio Mobile card, higher end form factor, more expensive, but you can get the same quality ECG, the same analysis, the same ability to send your physician at 79, and I can promise you that we are committed to enabling accessibility anywhere in the world. It's hard to do it immediately, but as our business grows, we're able to make things more affordable, more accessible, but $79, I don't think we have any peers, to be honest with you. So let alone the fact that we are validated with more publications, more clinical use, more expert support, we're the most affordable, and, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, that combination of quality and access is, is rare. And I think it's, it's a North Star that you guys have been going after, which is, which is great. Wearing your physician hat, I'm curious, with the unusual environment we find ourselves with the infodemic, the, you know, what we call it, Elsevier and osmosis, the information epidemic, do you have any advice for practicing clinicians or others about how we can turn the tide and get more people more health literate? get them more access to their own healthcare data, which is a, a premise of a live core, so that we can turn the tide on not just the COVID epidemic, but the diabetes epidemic, the heart failure epidemic. There's several epidemics that are largely preventable if we got people to do the right thing for their health. 
Oh, well, you know, my son, Michael, I mean, he's become the chief medical officer of a company, a startup called Accomplish Health, and he's got licenses in 36 states. He's board certified internist and board certified obesity medicine. They're going after obesity, which is at the heart of the diabetes epidemic, the hypertension epidemic, the metabolic syndrome epidemic, and then all the consequences that come from those. And I, all right, that was a shameless pitch for my son. Okay, I admit it. So please. He's great. No, I'm glad you brought him up. I was going to bring him up later. Because we have to address those things. We have to help people learn how to eat. You know, it's the same. You go to school in the United States, nobody teaches you what a mortgage means. Nobody teaches you what your healthcare information is. I guess sometime they used to have it, but we didn't have very much information, so there wasn't much to cover. But today, I mean, these are fundamental pieces of knowledge that kids ought to know in middle school. What's a car loan? What's an interest rate? What's compound interest? What's your blood pressure? What's your glucose? What are calories? How does it impact your weight? How does that impact your blood sugar? How does that impact your vascular health? And I think you can't start with doctors. It's got to start with parents, with teachers. And I think that's, that's the kind of focus. You know, we've got a system. Somehow our system has come to not only not appreciate expertise and knowledge, but actually disdain it. You know, a significant number of the people in this country now disdain expertise, disdain scientific knowledge. And I think that's something, politics aside, that we have to address. You know, I grew up when we were in the space race and the Cold War, and scientists, engineers, physicians were respected by everyone. And I don't think that's the case anymore. <laughs> and so that's a challenge Shiv, that's not just for physicians, not just for nurses, not just for teachers or parents, it's for everybody. And, you know, we've got to take some of these things out of the domain of medicine, like your weight, calories, and distill it down. And of course, here we look at it as a commercial opportunity, right? I've got my keto diet. I got my low carb diet. I got my uh, Ben and Jerry's diet. <laughs> whatever. And the reality is there are just some fundamental scientific principles that are not difficult. Calories in, calories out. You lose weight because you go in a caloric deficit. That's it. There is no other way. It's not ultrasound. It's not colonic cleanses. It's calories in, calories out. But it's very hard for a lot of people for some very well understood biologic reasons. Obesity is a disease, as my son keeps telling me, and we now have better ways to treat it, but they're not inexpensive. It's not just, oh, you eat too much, you're a weak person, and therefore you're going to be a type 2 diabetic, and therefore you're going to get half your foot cut off, and therefore you're going to get heart disease, and you're going to have a heart attack, and you're going to die. No. We have to start early and teach kids about nutrition, about health, about science, about finance, and get them back respecting knowledge. Again, you're preaching to the choir. Osmosis has hung our shingle up on that premise that we've got to make things simple, accessible, educational, and turn the tide and get people more engaged, which uh, I think companies and products like what you've built at LiveCore and what we've done well, with education. You're, you're, you're the Khan Academy for medicine. So <laughs> bravo to you, Shiv. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And literally Khan Academy because a bunch of our team came from Khan Academy and we had Sal in the podcast. It's all good. But yeah. You've done a great job too. I, I, one type of post, I obviously love your post about new research papers and AI patents and whatnot that you've gotten out there. But another thing that you've been posting is your own personal commitment to health and fitness. 
you're relatively you're very young actually we've we've had people like alan patrickoff from primetime partners on our podcast he's 87 and he yeah. stays fit biking 50 miles a week what's your secret like do you have specific goals in mind i know you're still doing pull-ups I, I, push-ups the good news is shiv when the last time i was visiting our alma mater i went by the wrestling room i was a four-year varsity wrestler so i was a division one wrestler i'd been a two-time high school all-american and i learned how to work out and exercise and diet at a young age just because it was the sport i was in and i've carried that on so that as we've learned more you know 40 years ago you didn't lift weights or do resistance training for health. You know, it was cardio, 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 cardio. Well, now we know if you lose muscle mass, which is inevitable as our testosterone goes down, whether you're men or women, you become frail and your mortality increases. So resistance exercise and cardio are critical elements along with eating well. You know, I hate to tell everybody out there, maybe some people won't, but you know, alcohol is a double-edged sword. If you're going to drink, really please do so in moderation because we know it can impact a number of issues. It's a lot of really maybe tasty yet needless calories. And so lifestyle is important. Diet is important. Exercise are important. But then there's your mind, mindfulness, meditation, relaxation. These are all critical elements to having a good life. And so I'm 67 years old, but I think I don't embarrass myself in the gym. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and I feel good. I see a lot of my peers, my classmates, and they haven't had that same kind of long-term commitment. Maybe they didn't learn it. Maybe that was educated. I was forced by my sport to learn about diet, to learn about exercise, learn about weightlifting, to learn about conditioning. And I've carried it on. And I think, you know, my son, Michael, who you know, is he's a committed, he's doing his first half marathon in college at Duke. I think he drank more than one or two beers a week. <laughs> and in med school, it's a lot of grind, but he's become a very committed guy. And I got him into being a board certified obesity doctor. He does virtual obesity medication and management in more than 30 states. He's committed to lifestyle because he understands when you prevent in medicine, you're doing the highest form of medicine. You know, we're so good at treating your triple vessel coronary disease or your cancer. We're really good at it. And we spend a lot of money and we, we get, you know, what I would call excellent outcomes in this country. But it'd be a lot better if you didn't have to have that bypass surgery, that stent, that cancer surgery. And to optimize your health means taking care of yourself. So I try to practice what I preach, Shiv. I love that. I love that. And you do it well. So I know we're coming up in time, Dr. Dave. So my last two questions for you the first is we have an audience of over 2 million current and future healthcare professionals. Your son is one of them. What is your advice to this next generation of healthcare providers about meeting the challenges of COVID and beyond? It's not appropriate to just say, suck it up. That's kind of an old notion, you know? The old notion in medicine was you just got to tough it out. You know, you need to stay up 50 hours in a row and still be compass mentum. And we know that's all just, excuse me, crap. <laughs> okay. And so, You've got to take care of yourself. You cannot take care of your patients. You cannot take care of your family unless you take care of yourself first. So be aware. We've got a big problem of burnout in medicine. We've got to be aware of that. We will get past this pandemic. And hopefully some of the lessons we've learned about taking care of yourself, protecting yourself, protecting your family, educating your patients will carry on beyond this. And some of the things we've learned like the value of remote patient monitoring. You know, if I can predict 
you're going to decompensate your heart failure. Well, maybe I can tell you to take two more 100 milligram Lasix pills and prevent that hospitalization. And so I think these are some of the lessons that this incredible pandemic has brought to us. Let's hope we take advantage of them. 100%. You would love to meet Dr. Johannes Wiewig, who we had on the podcast, who runs Nova Southeastern University. And he's adapting his curriculum to have some of those things in mind that you just shared there. My last question is, is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience to know about you, a live core, remote patient monitoring, or general, anything else? Well, I mean, take care of your heart. You should know what your weight is. You should know what your blood pressure is. I think sometime in the next few years, you'll be able to know what your serum glucose is and know how it responds to a beer or, or an ice cream cone. And again, that will go hand in hand with us educating you about those metrics, about yourself. And I hope that both doctors and patients can uh, work in a partnership. You can't stop death. You just need to stop it before it's time. Live your life a long time in good health. And I think that's going to take that partnership between healthcare providers and patients. So if I have a lesson to leave with, it's that. That's a great lesson to end on. So with that, Dr. David, so great reconnecting with you. Congrats on all the success and the amazing job you've done with the Live Corps and, and the work that you're doing to help raise the line and flatten the curve. Thank you, Shiv. It's my pleasure. And it's great to hear from you. And good luck at Elsevier. I gave them a lot of money for a lot of research publications. So wonderful. Thank you. Thank you again. With that, I'm Shiv Gulani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.